This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network, my latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. In today's episode, I have Jeff Matthews. Jeff is a partner at Stone Turn, and we take a look at fraud, fraud risk, and how a fraud risk examiner needs to step up for enhanced fraud risk during the era of coronavirus and economic dislocation. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Jeff Matthews. Jeff is a partner at Stone Turn, and uh, he's got a, a great professional background. So, Jeff, first of all, welcome and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Oh, Tom, it's great to be here. It's great to be here. Uh, we're getting the we're getting the day off started on the right foot. So uh, I don't often get to interview other Texans, so we have to acknowledge that we're both from the great state of Texas. But I was wondering if you could give our audience a little bit about your professional background. Okay, yeah. So I'm a partner with Stone Turn, and I lead their Dallas office. And this is the 25th year of being a a fraud and litigation and compliance specialist. Uh, now I've I've been in Texas now for 20 some odd years, but you know I was born and raised in Louisiana, and so it took me about 25 years to get out of that state. And since I've been in Texas, I I, I try I, I only go back when they drag me back. No, I'm kidding. I, I really love Louisiana, and I get back as much as I can. Um, but I got my start with the Legislative Auditor's Office in Louisiana, down in Baton Rouge, where we focused on political corruption, uh, looking at government officials that were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing, fraud, misconduct, abuse of office, those sorts of things. And so after five years in, in the enforcement group there in Baton Rouge, uh, I moved to Texas, and I've been in Dallas ever since. And so uh, in my in my part time or my, my free time, I teach a, a fraud investigation and forensic accounting course at the University of Texas here in Arlington. Uh, and then in the springtime, I travel with the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. Uh, we do a lot of lectures, a lot of trainings. And, and these days we're doing a lot of podcasts. And, you know, I realized that I have a face built for radio, uh, not not so much for TV, but. Uh, it is what it is, and uh, again, just really happy to be here with you, Tom. There's a reason I do audio only, and uh, <laughs> it must be because of our deep bass voice. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, Jeff, one of the things that has intrigued me as we move through the phases of coronavirus, obviously starting in mid-March when we were all shut down, and then here in Texas, we tried to have a phased reopening. We may or may not have to step back from that a little bit. But is the change in the nature of, of risk of an organization? And what I really wanted to get uh, your opinion on is, has this time, has coronavirus, has economic dislocation, has that affected an organization's fraud risk portfolio, or excuse me, profile? It, it really has. And if I put my professor hat on, uh, whenever I talk to organizations, fraud exists when there are three elements present. 
you have pressure, you've got the perceived opportunity, uh, and then you've got the fraudster's ability to rationalize their behavior. And so in these times, you see much more pressure than what we've ever faced as a, as a country, uh, whether it's financial pressure, uh, where some family members lost their job, there's fear that they're going to be losing their job, uh, medical expenses. Obviously, you've got uh, hospitalizations or, or at a pace that this country's never seen. Uh, and then you've got businesses that were shut down. And so th- that creates a lot of financial pressure uh, for individuals and organizations. And because we are now working from home and social distancing to the extent we can, it creates more opportunities because a lot of the controls that organizations have relied upon up to this point uh, involve walkthroughs, uh, constant monitoring, uh, being actually present. Um, the number one control that any organization can have is that fear of detection. Uh, regardless of your internal controls, your compliance programs, uh, the fear of detection is always going to be the biggest deterrent to fraud. And when you're out of sight, you can be out of mind. And if the auditors are working from home, then then some of the controls that they've relied upon may not exist anymore. Observations, walkthroughs, um, those are very difficult to perform when you're not physically there. And so that creates more of a perceived opportunity because the perception of detection may not be as high when people are working remotely. And then when you've got the ability to rationalize your behavior, such as I'll pay this back when they return me to full salary, Uh, whenever I go back to work full time, you know, I'll be able to make this right. And so that's what we're seeing. That's what I'm hearing. Um, And so I I think that this is going to be the the trend that we'll see as long as we've got such unrests in society, whether again, whether it's COVID or whether it's the protests um, and it's an election year. And so anything that um, that that can be made political seems to be being made political these days. And that creates some discord as well. Jeff, uh, when many people think of uh, fraud inside of a corporation, they think of obviously people cheating on expense accounts or other things that you and I might consider relatively small. One of the key uh, thought or uh, key, I think, findings from every ACFE report to the nations and the 2020 report included is that frauds inside of a corporation are typically not small. They last 18 months on average. They cost uh, anywhere from sort of 300000 up. Uh, and the higher up in the organization the fraud is, the more it's going to cost the corporation. The raw numbers uh, that are uh, lost to fraud annually are in the, I think, trillions. And uh, so some of the frauds that... I'm I'm concerned about it, and I'm I'm going to rely on people like you to to educate us on are things like uh, financial statement fraud. Do you see that as an increased risk at this point in time? I certainly do. You know, most of the frauds that we hear, uh, you know, are of the the expense report fraud, the time expense, cheating on your expense reports, cheating on your time card. Um, stealing office supplies. You know, those are the things that come to mind when most people think of occupational fraud. But the the major frauds, the biggest risks that we face right now are with fraudulent financial statements. 
you know, we're dealing with a lot of uncertainty. You mentioned earlier where we may be headed for another shutdown, you know, or at least a partial shutdown. And if, if that is, is out there in the, in the, in the forefront, then it's awfully difficult, almost impossible for organizations to uh, forecast, you know, predicting their revenues, uh, predicting their expenses, uh, estimating when they'll reopen. Um, and it may not be their organization that's facing the shutdown, but their, their, their clients, you know, their, their supply chain could be disrupted. And all of those uncertainties uh, will need to be disclosed. You'll have to estimate your earnings and analysts pay very close attention to those sorts of things. And so if an executive team is sitting around a room trying to determine what their next quarter looks like, what they feel their, their earnings will, will resemble, very difficult because the historical performance may not be indicative of what will be going forward. And so those disclosures, the non-financial pieces of the financial statements will be critical to understand the, the go forward, the marching orders, where we think organizations will be. And no, no executive, no CEO, no CFO wants to deliver bad news. So there, there are a lot of, 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 there's a lot of pressure on those executives to paint a, a much more positive picture than what otherwise may be relevant or, or reasonable. Jeff, you used a phrase that I frankly have not heard on this podcast, and I've been doing a lot of these, uh, and that's historical performance and why and how at this point in time historical performance uh, may not be a harbinger of what we may see in the future. Um as a fraud examiner, is that something it, changing the the uh, analysis from a historical performance or looking down the road? Is that something that was is within a fraud examiner's remit, or are they simply looking uh, retrospectively only? Well, you know, it reminds me of like a, a contingent liability situation. Is that we face contingent liabilities, whether it's material and adverse change in contracts. Uh, whether it's the force majeure clauses, uh, companies that are looking to recover some of their losses, either through lawsuits or, or filing an insurance claim. Well, you, when you look at those situations, you know, how probable is the recovery? And in prior years, you may look back and say that um, we didn't, the last time we faced such disruption, perhaps it was wind damage or a hurricane or something along those lines. You know, this organization, we were able to recover our losses through our insurance. Well, insurance policies are, are written uh, in many situations to protect the insurance company. And so we're, we're living in a different time, and there may be certain ambiguities. There may be exclusions for uh, pandemics. And so because you've recovered your losses in the past through an insurance policy, you may you may paint a, a little bit more positive picture and, and say that the recovery here is probable when it, it may not be. Let's say in terms of like allowance for doubtful accounts and bad debts, you know, you've historically run at a certain percentage of bad debts. Well, you're facing uh, some unknowns with your, your, your receivables at the moment. Uh, not everyone can afford to pay what they agreed to pay. They are extending terms. Uh, they may file bankruptcy, and that kicks your, your receivable out months and months and months. And so when you look back on your historical performance, 
the allowance for doubtful accounts, the bad debt expense. Again, it may not be any sort of resemblance of, of what you'll what you'll face going forward. So a lot of uncertainty. Um, what I tell organizations is that it's it's your process that you go through. It's it's not enough to simply look at past performance. It's not enough to look at comparable periods over time when you're facing such headwinds as what we are. And so you, you may ultimately miss on your projections. You may miss on the forecasts. But if you've gone through a thoughtful process, one that considers multiple points of view, uh, it, it takes into account various service lines, various industries, uh, various geographical constraints. So you, you, once you consider all of those things, you can come up with at least a reasonable approach to those forecasts and the projections. Still may not get it right. We don't know what we're facing, but at least you can defend the process that you that you went through to get there. The uh, Many of my listeners are in the anti-corruption compliance space, and one of the clear messages from the regulators in the form of the Department of Justice and Securities and Exchange Commission is that they want a thoughtful uh, well thought out process. And it sounds like it's the same in, in your discipline as well. And uh, what the regulators have communicated to us, no one will be punished if they followed a documented, well thought out process. Would that be the same for a fraud risk examiner? Absolutely. And is it documented? It's one thing to talk through uh, what you're doing, but if it's not documented, then you can argue that it just never existed or it didn't happen. And so that's the same with the risk assessments that we're, that we're going through. Your controls have changed. Um, the process that you go by in conducting an investigation has also changed. Um, you know, one of the tools that fraud examiners rely on heavily is the interview. And web conferences, Zoom meetings, those are all helpful uh, but it's no substitute to sitting across the table from someone, observing their body language. Uh, who else is in the room with them? Is there someone behind the camera directing their answers or nodding their heads, shaking their heads, you know, really guiding them through that interview process? So, um, you know, we're doing the best that we can with these Zoom interviews. But again, there's no substitute. Uh, but what I will say, you know, if you're if you're limited to the Zoom interviews, you can use them to your benefit because there will come a time when you have to sit down in front of that individual. The benefit of a Zoom interview is that it, it can be recorded. And so you can play it back time and time again and pick up on things that you may not have gathered uh, in that one and done sitting in front of them. And so it, it just changes the way you approach certain assignments. Uh, risk assessments is, is another example. A lot of the policies, the procedures will need to be updated on these new these new controls, the, the new uh, way of doing business, the fact that we can't necessarily re- rely on an observation or a walkthrough like what we once was. Uh, a question that I got asked last week is uh, from a, a multinational organization, and they needed to do site visits in Brazil. And so the question is, is how in the world can I do a site visit in Brazil when I'm not sure that I can even get to the country? And so in this in this situation, you may end up having to uh, rely on third parties. You may have to hire agents uh, to perform work on your behalf. 
And so that's a risk assessment that would need to be updated because, again, your, your controls have changed and there's a different level of reliance that you're going to place on them. And so those risk assessments, you, you may have some gaps in places now that didn't exist six months ago. Uh, the only way you're going to know that is going back through and looking to see how it was documented and what had been done in the past. Jeff, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted more information uh, where can they, on Stone Turner yourself, where could they go? You can find me on a number of different websites. And again, they're all, they're all good ones. You can find me on uh, Stone Turn's website. Uh, I'm also uh, on faculty with the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. Uh, they have my back phone. They can track me down almost any time of the day. And then you can find me on Mondays at the University of Texas, where I'm working with a number of students and uh, teaching ethics and, and those sorts of things. Lastly, you can find me on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, my autobiography came out in November. It's called Holding Accountants Accountable. And so it's very heavy on professional standards and ethics. And again, it's a lot of fun if you if you need a few more things to read these days. Well, this has just been a fascinating interview, uh, Jeff. And as we move forward uh, to uh, Qs 2 and 3, or excuse me, Qs 3 and 4, uh, perhaps I could call upon you to uh, uh, help us with where we might be at that point in time. Gosh, I'd love that, Tom. You do a wonderful job. And again, thanks for having me this morning. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This is the only B2B podcast which brings clear and sane information for both the compliance professional and the business executive. If I could ask you uh, to do one thing, if you could tell one person about this podcast, I'm trying to get the word out uh, about this most unique podcast in the compliance podcast network so if you could tell one person about it send them a copy send them a link do something uh, to help me publicize this podcast i would greatly appreciate it compliance and coronavirus is a production of the compliance podcast network and it appears tuesday wednesday and thursday of each week thanks again for listening and i hope you'll join me again for another episode This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.